Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, verses 1 to 19, from the Common English Bible, and it is also found in, on page 46 in the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the whole community of the Israelites, You must be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a communal sacrifice of well-being to the Lord, offer it so that it will be accepted on your account. It must be eaten on the day of your sacrifice or the following day. Whatever is left on the third day must be burned with fire. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is foul. It will not be accepted. Anyone who eats it will be liable to punishment because they defiled what is holy to the Lord. That person will be cut off from their people. When you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field and don't gather up every remaining bit of your harvest. Also, do not pick your vineyard clean or gather up all the grapes that have fallen there. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. You must not steal, nor deceive, nor lie to each other. You must not swear falsely by my name, desecrating your God's name in doing so. I am the Lord. You must not oppress your neighbors or rob them. Do not withhold a higher laborer's pay overnight. You must not insult a deaf person or put some obstacle in front of a blind person that would cause them to trip. Instead, fear your God. I am the Lord. You must not act unjustly in a legal case. Do not show favoritism to the poor or deference to the, deference to the great. You must judge your fellow Israelites fairly. Do not go around slandering your people. Do not stand by while your neighbor's blood is shed. I am the Lord. You must not hate your fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your fellow Israelites strongly so you don't become responsible for his sin. You must not take revenge nor hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You must keep my rules. Do not crossbreed your livestock. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seeds. And do not wear clothes made from two kinds of material. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, today we're looking at Leviticus, and you know, it was a really good idea at the beginning of the week, and now that I'm here, maybe not, no, I'm kidding. So one of the things I miss preaching about uh, this summer, or not preaching about, I missed the preaching, but one of the things I miss talking about with you all was the Olympics. Did anybody watch the Olympics this summer, right, and follow the Olympics? And one of the big news stories out of the Olympics was about Simone Biles, and that she dropped out of, the, one of, uh, out of some of the gymnastics event, I think one of the events. And uh, she was really being raised up going into the Olympics as like the, the, the Olympic gold medalist hopeful because she won five gold, uh, five, not five gold, but five medals at the last Olympics. So there was a lot of pressure on her to go win gold for the United States. And uh, by the way, she still won some medals. She won a bronze and she won a silver, right? But there's such pressure in gymnastics to be perfect, isn't there, right? And there's this pressure to get the perfect score or to be perfect. And 
So I think about how that was like uh, maybe disappointing for some folks that she didn't compete or she backed out. And so there was a lot of debate, you know, on sports news about why this happened and her mental health or wellness and all those things were going on. And, and I thought about what kind of, that's, that's a tremendous amount of pressure, right? And one of the things that there's a kind of a negative way of thinking, kind of I would say as a, 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 a fallacy in terms of our thinking that actually is not good or healthy for her or for us. And it's this idea that if you're not perfect, you're a failure, right? If you're not perfect, if you don't win gold, you're a failure. She did win bronze and silver. But there's this expectation sometimes we put on people or in places that are human beings, and we put unrealistic expectations on them. But this is really what we call all or none thinking, right? You know, it's either all or nothing, right? It's it's either you win or you're a failure, right? Um, you know, I don't know. Do we have any Talladega Nights people here that ever saw that movie, right? What it, what's the saying from that movie? If you're not first, you're last, right? If you're not successful, you're a failure, right? There's no room in between. That's all or none thinking. And I think a lot of times we in our Christian experience, when we come to uh, what we're going to talk about today, which is in Leviticus, this idea of holiness, we too can fall into this all or none thinking, right? Thinking, well, if I'm not perfectly holy, <laughs> then I'm a failure, right? And that's, I don't think, what is being taught us at all. So let's, we're going to jump into Leviticus today. There's a lot here, and that's why I said it, it sounded like a really good idea at the beginning of the week to try and cover all of Leviticus in one sermon. And so I'm not going to do that, but I, <laughs> gonna, we're going to talk about actually the whole book not just, we'll talk a little bit about this chapter, but we really want to take a look at what is the purpose of Leviticus in the Bible, right? Because I think Leviticus gets a bad rap because sometimes we fall into some legalism or all or none thinking and ways of looking at it and interpreting it. And so we're going to look at what's going on here. What's the purpose of Leviticus? Now we have to keep in mind that in the Old Testament, we've been talking about the history of the Israelites and the, Levit- the book of Leviticus was created during what's called the wilderness formation period of the Israelites. So they're, they're going from Egypt and being slaves in Egypt to the promised land, to being God's people. And there's a 40-year period of formation. And it, uh, can, I, can anybody agree with me that it sometimes takes more than 40 years to form us, right? Like I'm on a 50-year plan, I think. I'm on the 50-year plan. So we're all in this process, right? And they were in this process of formation. So Leviticus was laying out a way for them to live differently than they lived in Egypt and different than where they were going. And we'll take a look at that. The other thing that's going on in Leviticus is it's a book of worship. It gives a lot of instructions on worshiping God in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a tent that Moses and the Israelites set up and took down as they moved through the wilderness, as they got through the Exodus. And these are instructions on what's, how to offer sacrifices, what the priest's role is, what the priests are to do, what's clean and unclean and dietary restrictions, uh, what celebrations, annual celebrations are there, Sabbath, celebra- you know, Sabbath worship, all these. So really, in a lot of ways, it's about worship and offering sacrifice and the priestly role, which is part of the reason I chose this book to look at because we haven't really looked, we've looked a lot at prophets and kings. We haven't done a lot of time, spent a lot of time with the priesthood. And so we're looking at that today. They're also moving from individual worship to corporate worship here. It's important for us to understand. They, before this, families would worship in their homes or their households or in their fields. They would maybe worship other gods or deities or idols. 
um, as they did probably even in Egypt. And now they're moving from individual family household worship to corporate or community worship at the tabernacle at the tent. So they're moving. This is a shift in how worship happens. And the other thing is they're moving into what's called a covenant relationship with God, which is different than, you know, in a lot of ways. Covenant relationship means I'm going to, even if you're not perfect, right, I'm going to stay committed to you. I'm going to stay in relationship with you. That's covenantal, right, rather than contractual. Contractual relationships are, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. But covenantal says, even if you're not perfect, I'm going to stay in relationship with you, which is what God's perspective is. You guys, because there's, there's a lot of failure in the Old Testament, and God stays covenantally connected in relationship with God's people and with people, even though they fail or aren't perfect, right? So again, obviously, you know, in my, uh, in my thinking, God is not an all or none uh, type of thinker. So let's take a look at this. So what's going on? One is this, this is a book about holiness. If you look at the very first few verses of the chapter we heard today to remind us to take us back to the beginning, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the whole community of the Israelites, you must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So you see this repeated throughout the book of Leviticus, this call to be God's holy people. Now what's going on here? Why are they being called? One is to reflect God to other people, but here's a little bit more to it. If we look at, go back to chapter 18, it lays out the reason for this. It says in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 18, You must not do things like they are done in the land of Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do things like they were done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You must not follow the practices of those places. No, my regulations and my rules are the ones you must keep by following them. And again, we hear this phrase, I am the Lord your God. Did you notice that phrase when you heard Lydia reading the scripture, how often it was repeated, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God? What's happening is that God is using this time period to shape them into God's people and not be slaves anymore, not be slaves in Egypt anymore, but also not become like the people where they're moving, where they're going to, right? They're to be distinctly different than the rest of the nations around them and the rest of the people and cultures around them, right? So within Leviticus, a lot of it's about worship and sacrifice things. One of the things we also find in the book of Leviticus is something called the holiness code, really about what are the ways that we are to be holy. Now, holy, can, you can define this term in different ways. One is people define it as to be set apart, and that's part, what we heard in that, those verses about not being like Egypt and not being like Canaan, to be separate, set apart. It also can mean whole or complete. Notice we're not using the word perfection right? So I can wholly pursue God, can I? Or I can completely trust God in areas of my life, right? So wholeness and completeness is more about being in relationship with God and in God's covenant and wholly obedient and completely trusting God as I pursue God's ways in my life. Doesn't mean I'm always perfect, but I can have that as a direction of my life. So, so I'm, we try and live. And even in the New Testament, And in the scriptures, we're called to holiness. This doesn't go away in the New Testament, Um, even though some people have, you know, we we argue about what we follow and don't follow. We'll unpack that a bit. So I was giving an example of this. 
Uh, I was at a Christmas uh, dinner party, you know, and they had the, we got into the dining room at the house, and there was all these, like, really great hors d'oeuvres on the table and food on the table. And on the table was shrimp cocktail with, you know, shrimp cocktail. And I, I'm, I'm a fan of shrimp cocktail. I'm going to be honest with you. And so I'm there, and I get in a plate of shrimp cocktail, and, and I'm like, oh, this is a really good cocktail. Where'd you get the shrimp? You know, like, I'm all into this, right? And then in walks Rabbi so-and-so from the local synagogue. And I said to Rabbi, I said, hey, try the shrimp. And you know what he said to me? No, thank you. I don't eat shrimp. And I'm like, ugh. Insert foot in mouth. Do you not know, Matt? You know, like, because what was the reason for this? I, so we actually got in, I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> you, you've chosen to live by this dietary restriction. Tell me more about this. And he says, it's not that, he, he wasn't like judging me for, he was like, I'm not judging you for eating shrimp. Go ahead, enjoy, right? But he says, but I've just chosen to put this boundary on my life to honor God. You know, I'm just trying to live in a way that pleases and honors God. He wasn't judging me for eating shrimp. He wasn't saying, don't have shrimp on the menu. He wasn't doing any of that, right? He was just saying, hey, this is how I'm trying to live. I'm trying to live differently than the world around me, which comes out of this Levitical code. By the way, dietary restrictions in Leviticus fall into three categories because it follows the pattern in Genesis, chapter, uh, the creation in Genesis, right? So there are dietary restrictions on what kind of land animals one can eat and not eat, on what kind of sea animals one can eat and not eat, and what kind of birds one can eat and not eat. And that follows the pattern of Genesis. If you look back at Genesis, you know, God created the earth, but then filled it with mammals, fish, and uh, birds. And so the dietary restrictions are around that. So, and I'm also always amazed too, like, well, we wouldn't do that today, would we? Have you ever heard of clean foods or whole foods, right? We are under dietary restrictions, and we impose dietary restrictions for different reasons today, even, right? So these are, these are ways that he was trying to honor God. Now, one of the, we can still, even in this holiness code, in our pursuit of holiness, fall into this all or none type of thinking. Like, it's either all or none. It's either I'm perfectly holy or I'm not, or you're not, or I can judge other people for not falling within that code, right? So it's an all or none type of thinking as well. This leads to something that we actually see within the church and that I think we need to guard against. Jesus told us to guard against it, and it's something called legalism. Now, legalism is this. It's a strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code, right? So it's excessive, it's literal, it's strict, right? And so we can fall into legalism. All or none thinking actually moves us towards legalism because it's, we're, we're struggling with this idea that if I'm not perfect, I'm a failure, right? Now, let's take an example of this out of Leviticus. Uh, there is a verse in Leviticus that says, don't get a tattoo. Uh, did you know that? And I actually was, grew up being told not to get a tattoo. I grew up that way. And uh, so I don't have any tattoos. But, you know, since I moved to Seattle, I'm thinking about it, right? <laughs> you know, so... But it says that. So if I take that literally, or if I take that as a legalistic, legalistically, right, 
the point is, and then all or none thinking is you never get a tattoo. You don't get a tattoo, right? That's, that's what that you would say. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. What if there's a reason for this? Like, because the Leviticus doesn't explain the reason why. It just says don't get a tattoo. So we take it literally. But part of the reason for this is, remember, they're leaving Egypt. And in Egypt, the priestesses in the temple cult of Hathor would tattoo their bodies. And so it was part of the ritualistic, cultic experience of Egypt in the, around the god Hathor that the priestess would tattoo their bodies to represent the god Hathor to the people, right? So when Leviticus is saying this, we have to put that in the context of you're leaving Egypt and you're moving to Canaan. Don't do what they did in Egypt, right? Don't get the tattoos of the priestess in, uh, of Hathor, right? That's a little bit more context to it, right? So today, I think the question is not get a tattoo or not get a tattoo. That's legalistic in my mind. But it's about what the tattoo represents, right? So I've seen some tattoos that I don't think are holy, right? I've seen some tattoos that are degrading to women or racists or other things, and I look at them and I go, that's not holy. I don't, I don't want that on my body, right? That does not reflect the character of God, right? And yet, if you go back to Egypt today, my wife reminded me of this this morning, if you go back to Egypt today and you meet a Christian in Egypt today, they have a tattoo. And they have a tattoo on their hand. And what, that's the way they communicate that they're Christian. So that tattoo represents their faith in Christ in a culture that does not want them there. Does that make sense? So it's interesting how they're now using the tattoo as a way to represent God and reflect God to the people. By the way, even though Leviticus says don't get a tattoo, it does say get circumcised, which also is a way to mark the body. So if we take it legalistically, literally, there's a contradiction there. But if we take it as what's the meaning, what is holiness, and am I moving towards holiness and reflecting God's character to other people, if we look at it that way, then it's not about this legalistic view of tattoos, right? Because one of the things we, we don't do, and I hear this all the time in, in interpreting Leviticus, is it's still, we get in these all or none interpretations of Leviticus, rather than seeing that there are layers of actual holiness in Leviticus. Here are some layers of, of holiness. How to, here it is, how to be holy according to Leviticus, right? Number one, in general, there are three categories that holiness falls into. Ethical holiness, they're, they're ethical. You heard that in chapter 19. Did you hear the part about not harvesting all your crops and leaving part of your field, part of the harvest in your field for the immigrant and the poor? That's an ethical, moral holiness, right? So it impacts that. It impacts relationship to your neighbor and your relationship to God. This is always vertical and horizontal relationships. Number two... You also saw ritual holiness. Did you hear the part where it said, you know, uh, you can eat the meat sacrifice for the first two days, but the third day, don't eat it, right? And you, you've now, that's more about ritual holiness. And a lot of Leviticus is ritual holiness and sacrificial holiness and how to make a right sacrifice or a ritual sacrifice to God. And there's a lot of ritual around the priesthood and those sacrifices uh, and eating meat, and clean and unclean. No, a lot of it is about clean and unclean, right? So that's ritual holiness. Then there's also practical holiness. So 
at the very end of chapter 19, I intentionally left that last verse on there for this purpose. Where, did you hear what it said? Don't mix two animals together, don't mix two seeds together, and don't mix two threads together. What is going on? Now, we really don't, what I could learn is we don't know. We don't know what this is ultimately about. But it seems to be practical. And it, another way to translate that verse, don't mate two animals, is don't yoke two animals together. And what would happen if you yoke two animals together to plow a field, for example, like an ox and a goat or an ox and a donkey, right? You'd get a crooked line, right? Because one animal would work harder than the other. It would be, it would be impractical to do that. It would also burden one animal over another. Uh, you wouldn't mix two seeds in a field because then at harvest time it would be hard to collect them and harvest them. That's a practical consideration. And then even at that time period, it might have been hard to weave two types of thread together, particularly in this context, wool and linen. And so a linen thread and a wool thread, trying to put those two together might be a hardship for the creator or it might just be a hardship for the wearer. I don't know. But there might be a practical consideration there. So those seem obscure to us but they may have had practical implications, right? But again, if we're not legalists, I mean, how many people are wearing a two-threaded shirt right now, right? So, you know, um, so those are things, right? That, that would be legalistic, right? So why is it that we hold on to some of Leviticus in the New Testament, but not all of Leviticus? Why, why is it that we're practicing or we would point to some things in Leviticus, but not hold on to everything in Leviticus? Why, why are we doing that today? Well, Hebrews helps us with this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12 says this. When the order of the priest changes, there has to be a change in the law as well. When the order of priests. So who's our new priest this interaction time? Jesus, right. Oh, the Sunday school answer still is helpful. So Jesus is our high priest. What's disappeared from Leviticus because of Jesus being our high priest? The sacrificial system is gone, right? Because Jesus is the sacrifice once and for all, for our sins. We don't need to go back to that system of worship anymore. We're under a new priest and a new covenant, right? So that goes away. The ritualistic pieces go away. Some of the practical pieces go away, right? So these are things that are happening under Jesus. And then notice that when Jesus is debating with the Pharisees, what's the big hang-up? Cleanliness. Ritual cleanliness, clean and unclean. They were really concerned about clean and unclean. They were caught up in ritual holiness. And what Jesus accused them of was what? The ethical holiness pieces. He let go of the ritual holiness and said, the the places where I'm going to challenge the Pharisees is on ethical holiness. Right? And so when we see Jesus, we see these things disappearing. You think about Peter Uh, having a vision when they're going to the Gentiles and he has a vision and God says to Peter, you can eat these meats now. And Peter's response was like, no, 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 you know, because he was still into ritual, clean and unclean animals, dietary restrictions. And this vision was, no, you can, it's okay to eat these meats. So again, the new covenant and the new priest, the law changes. See how that works? So now, what did Jesus do with Leviticus. Because Jesus would have had the whole book of Leviticus memorized. Think about it. So notice that when Jesus is talking to the lawyer, 
And the lawyer asks him a question. He says, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Sunday school question. Love your neighbor. What else? Love God. Right. Love God. Love your neighbor. Right? That's the summary of it. Jesus takes a, quote, takes a verse out of Deuteronomy, love God, and takes this verse out of Leviticus chapter 19, which says, you must not take revenge nor hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And there we hear it again. I am the Lord, your God. And if you read Jesus' teaching, you'll see that reflected, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, right? So what we see is this, that Jesus holds on to the ethical, moral holiness in the New Testament. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's almost like Jesus is doubling down on it. He's not making it a legalistic thing. He's actually saying, look at the heart of what you're doing. Don't just follow the rules, but go deeper and think about the ethical and moral implications of your heart, what your heart is doing, what's going on in your heart. See what I'm saying? So Jesus actually moves even further into the ethical, moral holiness and lets go of the ritual and practical holiness that we find in Leviticus. And that's why we, you know, that's why we, we're having this, uh, th- that's why we're doing this, right? It's not all or none. <laughs> it's not all or none. And we get trapped in this all or none type of thinking. So I thought about this, and I thought, what's a better way for us to look at holiness? So here's, here's what I came up with. You can agree with it or disagree with it. Perfectly up to you. I have no ownership. Again, great idea when I started the week. Here's how I ended the week. To live in a way that is different and reflects wholeness in our obedience towards God and completeness in our trust of God. This is relationship language, right? This isn't about following rules and regulations. It's about living in relationship to God. And notice, too, that for the Israelites, and I think even for us today, we can't do this without community. We can't do this in isolation. We can't do this without each other. And we need to wrestle with the, that we need community to live in this way and live in obedience and trust of God, right? Really, that's part of what holiness is, go, is, is working towards, right? And let's go back to it took 40 years. So if you're not there yet, good news, right? Good news. I'm on the 50-year plan. I, t- I think I already said that. I've stretched. I've given God 10 more years to work on me. So I'm kidding. So the key words here are obedience and trust. And this is going to make us distinctly different and look distinctly different than the rest of our society. Clearly, we will look different, act different as a result of that. It begs the question, though, right? It doesn't seem that we're all that different. <laughs> so I'm going to give an example today, and, um, and I debated whether to give it because it's a little bit controversial for people. But I think it's a great example of what we're talking about in terms of living this way. So one of the things, uh, I just, in fact, I was reminded of it this week. And this week, I uh, was reminded of a conference that's coming up this fall called the Revoice Conference. And the Revoice Conference is a group of Christians 
that come together, and uh, they're same-sex attracted Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, there's, they have same-sex attraction, and they meet and they gather because they need community. They, they will tell you straight, I need to be in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The other thing about this community is that they also believe in a traditional view of marriage as between a husband and a wife. So this is a unique position to be in, is it not, in today's culture? So they're saying, and they're open and honest and vulnerable about their struggles with same-sex attraction. And they're, they're very honest about it and authentic about it, which is what I, I think is, is that's how we, we need to be in community. And they need community, right? Where they get a little, you know, what, what's hard is that then, okay, if we have this biblical, traditional view of marriage, what they would say is biblical and traditional, how do I live that out with my same-sex attraction, right? They're struggling with that. Notice this is the struggle we're all in, right? Not just about this issue, but we're all struggling with how do I be holy? How do I live this a certain way that honors God and trusts God and is obedient to God, even though I have these struggles, right? I think that's an honest place to be. That's what I love about this is that they're honesty. But what they've come to is that their practice on this would be celibacy, would be one practice. And the other one is to enter into marriage with someone of the opposite sex uh, within a traditional marriage so that what they're doing is they're, but they go into that marriage relationship fully, you know, honest about their same-sex attraction. So, so this, um, so there, and this happened. I've heard testimony. I've heard them share their stories from different people uh, here locally as well. People who have chosen paths of celibacy, even though they're same-sex attracted, or chosen paths of mi- what they call mixed marriage for them is mixed marriage, right? Because they're not necessarily attracted to the partner that they're married to from that point of view, but they want to enter into this community and this relationship. Now, what happens to them in our world is all or none thinking. There's a lot of all or none thinking, so here's the way it plays out in the church. There are people in the church that are rejecting their voice because they're not healed of their same-sex attraction. Like, well, if you're not healed of your same, if you're not completely transformed by the Holy Spirit to now be attracted, if you're not conversion therapied out, right, then you can't be a Christian. And so they, in their all or none thinking, reject them altogether. Then there's all or none thinking on the other side. And the other side is saying, well, if you're not going to identify and fully affirm who you are, then you're suspect, and so therefore we're going to reject you as well. And so there's rejection on both ends for them. They get flack from both sides of the argument, the debate, because of all or none thinking. That this isn't a possible path for someone who's a Christian. This is the path they're choosing, and they're choosing it because they're trying to honor God, right? Which is in my mind, that's admirable. I, I can't imagine how hard this is. Like, I, I don't even, this has got to be tremendously hard. And at the same time, it should challenge us as a church, as Christians, to say, what are we doing with our desires, right? Are we submitting our desires, whatever they are, whatever we struggle with, to honoring God? Are we honoring God with all our desires? Not just orientation, but how about greed? Is our greed submitted, and are we allowing God to take our greedful desires 
and honor and bring them into obedience and trust of God? Or what about gluttony? You know, I told you about the shrimp cocktail, right? I'm a stress eater. You know, have I surrendered? Have we surrendered our gluttony, our desires to God and want to honor God in that area of our lives? What about pride? Pride. Have we surrendered our pride to God and under the and want to honor God with the way we reflect God's holiness and not pride in a not a non-prideful way? So this is something for all of us to wrestle with, right? What desires are you willing to submit to God in a whole, in obedience and trust? What would you do? And are you willing to bring them before God and say, God, would you help me with this? Would you help me honor you with this, this part of my life? And how can I live different in a way that's different when it comes to this place in my life or desire? Let's pray together. God, we come to you today. We thank you that you love us <laughs> perfectly. That if there is one thing that is true about you, you have found a way to perfectly love us. You don't fail in your love for us. And God, I thank you too that you are patient with us and you give us 40, 50, 60 years to become holy. And we all wrestle with this, Lord. We all wrestle with this idea of holiness and what does it mean to live a holy life and to be holy people. And we want to, we want to be holy. We know that. We're called to that. And yet it's hard at times. It's hard for us to submit our desires to the work of your holiness, to submit our desires to your Holy Spirit's work in our life. We need your help. We also need your community. We, we can't do this without one another. We can't do this without other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Lord, just as you called the Israelites to be a holy people, to be your people, and you call us the same, but you didn't mean for us to do it alone. You meant for us to do it together. So, Lord, come, send your Holy Spirit into our lives. Help us today in areas of our lives where we want to be holy today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.